Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, you guys can have a seat. We're going through a series called Big Questions. And uh, I get a lot of these questions, by the way. I got, uh, the reason I'm doing this series is because a lot of these questions are questions that you've asked me. And so I want to be transparent in that. Uh, Last week we talked about, um, if God is so good, why do I still feel depressed? And that was a, um, I actually shared a lot of my testimony in that. And Many of you were so gracious that you called, that you texted or called and checked on me on Monday. <laughs> How are you doing? Is it a gray day? <laughs> um, I appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, I really do. I really do. I do want to tell you guys what next week is before I forget, though. Next week is Dude Day 2022. Right, guys? Right, guys? All right. So... I decided that you needed to know what dude day was. Um, and so I wanted to bring someone up on stage to show you how you're supposed to dress next week. Gil, come on up here, my friend. Gil, come on up. <clears throat> yeah. If you walk into the service, guys, with anything besides something like this on, you are going to be in the minority because it's dude day 2022. We're going to. We're going to have a little bit of a abbreviated service. Uh, it's going to be right, right at an hour, probably 50 minutes to an hour. And then after that, we are going to go and have a huge fish fry under the pavilion. So bring your chairs, bring your lawn chairs, okay? And, uh, and we're going to have a great time. Right, Gil? All right, I'll be on the golf course. You will not be on the golf course, Gil. <laughs> You're going to be here with us. If he is on the golf course, he doesn't wear shoes playing golf. So that will tell you everything you need to know about Gil. All right. He has embraced middle age to the height. I got a he Jesus really, soul with a little Buffett in my heart. A little Buffett. All right. You love Jesus, but you listen to Buffett a little bit too, right? That's right. All right, partner. Thank you so much. So, guys, no matter what your wife says, you wear you a pair of obnoxious shorts. And uh, even if you want to wear a, uh, a Hawaiian shirt, that's totally fine with me. I should care less. It's the only time of the year where I get to dress like I usually do every day. All right. I wear long pants once a week in the winter, in the spring, summer, and fall. Guess what day it is? It's two day. That's when I wear it. So anyway, I also want to say this. We have started live streaming again. We heard you uh, loudly. uh, And we are live streaming uh, again. And the reason we're live streaming again is because we have people that are going on vacation and they don't want to miss the series. And so we're like, okay, fine. You win. We'll live stream. So if you're joining us live stream, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you will choose to come in person next week when you get back from your vacation. All right. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. John chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you some things. 
When I was growing up, you guys, when I grew up, when I was growing up, when I was younger, it was in Waverly, Tennessee. It's a huge town of about 3,000. Waverly, Tennessee. And when I was growing up, I hated alcohol. I hated alcohol. Um, The reason I hated alcohol, and I want to say this before I get started, is I loved my father. Uh, to, to date, the hardest thing I've had to go through has not been a tornado. Um, it has been the death of my father because my father and I were, until I met and married Wendy, my father was my best friend. And I love my dad. And I miss my dad every day. And next week, Father's Day will be hard for me like it probably will be for some of you uh, thinking about your father. Uh, if he's if he's passed, but I hated alcohol because my dad liked to partake in alcohol too much. Are you with me? And it changed who my dad was. I, I'll never forget this, and this is something. If you've grown up in, a, in an alcoholic home, this is something that you learn really quickly. And I don't know if some of you may be like, "Oh my gosh, I do that," but. If you grew up in an alcoholic home, more than likely you, you uh, are, are a good reader of people. You can read people really well. And the other thing you do is, is whenever someone is upset or there's a problem with someone, you can sense it really well and you locate that. And the reason you can locate that, and you're very sensitive to other people's emotions and feelings. And the reason you do that is because... When you were when you were in when you were little, you had to read which father or mother, depending on who it is, which one was coming in the door. See, you had to be able to tell whether or not that parent had drank or not, and you had to assess that, and you had to figure out whether or not you you had to look and assess to see what kind of night it was going to be, and that happened frequently. My dad was more of a weekend warrior. You with me? Friday, Saturday night, party on, that's what he would do. But my dad would become a different person when he was drinking. And so I had to assess that. And in that, I learned to hate alcohol. I stand before you at 51 years old. I've never been drunk in my life, ever. And I never will. Because growing up, I hated alcohol. But just because my experience growing up was a bad one with alcohol doesn't mean that the Bible feels the same way I do. Are you with me? And I can honestly say today I don't hate alcohol today. But when I was little, I hated alcohol. So today's question is this. It's one I get often. Can Christians drink alcohol and should they? That's the question. Can Christians drink alcohol, and should they? The Bible speaks a lot about alcohol. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about alcohol over 200 times. Did you guys know that? Over 200 times. Let's take a look at what it says. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says this, Wine produces mockers, and alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Ephesians 5.18 says this, and you've probably heard this, don't be drunk on wine because that will ruin your life. 
Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 3.8 says this, and this is the qualifications for what a deacon and a leader needs to be. In the same way, deacons must, uh, must uh, be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. Which tells me that if you're a heavy drinker or dishonest, dishonest with money, then you're not going to be well respected and have integrity. In Proverbs, there's a proverb and at the end of the proverb, it's Proverb 23, at the end of the proverb it tells you what happens whenever that you give your life over and that you become one that's dependent on alcohol. It's Proverbs 23 starting in verse 29. Here's what it says. It says, Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who's always complaining? Who has, un this is, who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? And he's talking about someone who's an alcoholic. It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. But don't gaze at the wine seeing how red it is or how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end it bites like a poison snake and it stings like a viper. And then it says, you will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. I want to pause that. Anyone want to admit that they've seen hallucinations and said crazy things? We had one person that gave me a nod and raised their hand. They went. <laughs> Everybody else who has is lying. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And then it says, and you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. Uh, when, when, when will I wake up so I can look at another drink. So, I want to tell you something though very important in this. Let's look at Proverbs 23, 19 through 20. It says, My child listen and be wise. Know that your heart is on the right course. And then it says, Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons. And so, I wanted you to understand something. Here's what it's saying. If you just, and here's what people do. I'm going to be completely transparent with you today. People take the Proverbs at the end of Proverbs 23, they take that out of context. And they say, you see here brother, the Bible says that you should never drink ever and here's why. And they leave out the top part in 19 and 20 where it says, listen, and other versions say this. And, and really the New Living Translation is not a good translation for that verse. It says, it says do not partake in excess of alcohol. Or you will, and then it goes out and it says what you will do. So the question is, can Christians drink alcohol or should they? Well, what are the arguments for and against it? Well, let me tell you the arguments for and against it. So the main argument for and against it is, as people say this all the time, they say the biblical alcohol that was found in biblical times was grape juice. That's what it was. It was grape juice. They say there's actually, and they, here's another thing they say, actually brother there's two kinds of alcohol in the Bible. There's two kinds. Okay. There's one for pleasure, and they say the alcohol there for pleasure that they're talking about, about like Proverbs talked about, that is for, that is for getting drunk, and that is a sin. But 
the alcohol for medicinal purposes. And every time I hear someone say medicinal purposes for alcohol, do you guys remember? I know I'm literally looking at the people saying about 15 people are going to get this. Do you guys remember when the traveling salesman went through Mayberry and Aunt B got liquored up? You guys remember that? Every time I hear medicinal purposes, that's what I think. All right. I know my mom's watching online right now, and I know she just said, oh, I remember, I remember, because she watches Andy Griffith every day. That's what we do. That's what we did. Back when I was growing up, we watched Andy Griffith every day. 1 Timothy 5.23 is the medicinal purposes, if we can take a look at that. 1 Timothy 5.23 says this. hope we have it. If we don't have it, I can find it. Do we not have it? Here, here's what it says. It says basically, it's, it's going to Timothy and it says, I want you to understand something. It says, it says don't, uh, when, when, you know, your stomach's upset, drink a little bit of alcohol. Drink a little bit of wine to settle your stomach. That's what it says. Drink a little bit of alcohol to settle your stomach. And that one's okay because that, they're just, Paul's telling Timothy to drink a little alcohol because that's grape juice. But Proverbs is talking about something totally different. Uh, the problem with that is, is that it's not based on the biblical text. That's not what the Bible says at all. It's not what the Bible says at all. So let's take a deep dive in what the Bible says. And y'all, I promise you what you're getting ready to learn from John chapter 2 is so cool. It is one of the coolest. People often overlook it because it was just one of the first miracles that, that, uh, uh, that, Jesus, uh, that Jesus did. Um, there's a joke actually, and I hope I can remember it. I'm going to try to tell the joke. Um, there's a joke about John chapter, chapter 2. Um, it's where Jesus turned water into wine. There's this preacher who's, who's driving and he's intoxicated. And, uh, and he, uh, he gets pulled over by the cops and, and he said, you know, Pastor, so, Pastor Smith, are you, uh, uh, you were driving erratically. And he said, oh, I wasn't driving erratically. And he said, Pastor Smith, I smell wine. I, I smell wine in the car. What's going on? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, what's in that bottle right there? And he said, well, that ain't nothing but water. And the cop said, let me have that bottle. And he starts to pour it out, and it is all wine. And he said, this is wine. And the pastor said, praise Jesus. He did it again. <laughs> I know it wasn't funny. I appreciate the token laugh. <laughs> so what's going on here in John chapter 2? Well, here's what's going on. Jesus is starting his ministry, but he doesn't want everyone to immediately see Everything he's not the time is not right yet for the ministry, and so he is he's around the age of thirty. He started his earthly ministry, and he attends a wedding. And here's what it says: The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus's disciples were also invited to the celebration. And here's what it says: The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus's mother told him, "They have no more wine." And Jesus said, Dear woman, that's not our problems. Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. And here's what his mom says. But his mom told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. That's just like a mom, isn't it? You know, you go to your mom and say, Listen, I can't do this. I can't do this. And she didn't listen to anything. She said, Just do what he says. He's going to fix it. You're going to fix it. Do whatever he says. That's what, that's what she said. And so... Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told his servants, fill the jars with water. 
When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not, uh, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And it says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So, I understand what's going on in this passage because I've actually lived this a little bit. Here's what would happen. The mother and father would throw a banquet, a, a feast for the wedding ceremony. Now, I will tell you that my daughter got married a little over a year ago. And I thought that my daughter would want to meet at a beach somewhere, because that's kind of a personality, to meet at a beach. And we would get, she would get married on the beach, and then they would go have a honeymoon, and everything would be great, and there would be about ten people there. My daughter surprised me and said, no, Dad, I want a large wedding. And I said, okay, great. And so, but here there was one stipulation that I gave her for the wedding. And here's what I told her. I said, I want you to understand something. My friends and family are going to be at this wedding. And I understand this is going to be your wedding. And I want it to be everything that you've ever wanted it to be. But this wedding is not going to be janky. It's not going to be janky. It's not going to be half done. Why did I feel that way? Here's why I felt that way. Because I don't want my friends to come and experience something that doesn't equal up to the level that I want to live at. I want to look good for my, for my family. I, wa- I want the wedding to be a certain caliber because if it's not, it would disrespect or it would show disrespect. And this is how they felt. And it was so funny because we were picking out the food for the wedding. And my wife's, my wife's uh, husband, my son-in-law, who I dearly love, uh, he eats like a six-year-old. He eats chicken nuggies and fries. That's what he eats. That's it. And candy. I kid you not. So, we picked out all the food. And he said, I want chicken and a different kind of chicken and macaroni and cheese. And I said, well, we've got the kids meal taken care of. What are the adults going to eat? And so, I was like, look, Wendy and I went with them to the food. We had a food tasting. It was awesome. It was great. I said, look, there's going to be something green on that plate. All right. I don't care what happens. Something green is going to be on the plate. And and my daughter said, I know, but he doesn't like green. I said, I don't care what he likes. There's going to be something green on the plate. And so, I think we went with green beans. I don't know what it was. It was green beans or something. So, anyway, but it was done in a way that was at a level, and of course my daughter loved it too, it was done in a way that it was at a level of what we wanted to, to portray to everyone because we have a standard that we want to keep. It's just a family thing. It's the same thing as my dad telling me, don't forget your last name. What's on? Don't you forget your last name, boy. That's what he used to say all the time. Young man, don't you forget your last name when I would leave. And so, so here, that's what's going on here. And here's what they would do, y'all. Here's what they would do. <clears throat> they would take the good wine, all right, the good wine, they would take the good wine and they would, they would give the good wine out first. 
so that the guest would partake of the good wine. Now, what does it mean by good wine? Let me translate for you. The most alcoholic content would be given out first so that the guest would get a little tipsy and after that they would no longer care the quality of the wine. They would just want more. Are you with me? That's what's going on here. It's exactly what's going on here. And so Jesus did something that was amazing. He, they thought that when they brought the wine to him, he was like, wow, this is the best wine. You've saved the best wine for last. You've saved the best wine for last. So, wow, this is so impressive is what the, is what the guy said. So, what does that say to us? Well, it says a lot. It says a lot to us. I do want to show you one cool thing, though. This is really cool. This is a side note. Listen, you don't have to. This is free. This is a free little nugget. Anytime, and by the way, I have decided we are going to go through the book of John next year, starting in August. We're going to go through the book of John because it's so fascinating. And I want to go through it. Uh, when you look at, the, at, at, at John, you have, to, you have to look at two things. You have to look at the literal, which is what's being said. And then there's going to be a symbolic meaning going forward. So, you, when you look at John, it's going to be literal and symbolic. So, let me tell you a cool little fact. The jars that were used for this miracle were jars that were used in ceremonial washing, which is what the text says. What is ceremonial washing? In the law, in the law, the ceremonial washing was them cleansing themselves. Are you with me? Them cleansing themselves and purifying themselves so that they could present themselves to the Lord. It was them cleansing and purifying themselves. And I don't want you to miss this. They would cleanse and purify themselves with these vats of water. And then they would make themselves presentable to the Lord. Here's the cool part. Jesus took those vats and that water and changed the water that was supposed to be used for ceremonial cleansing and changed it and made it into the best wine. And we know later on there's going to be a moment that's going to come where Jesus says, this is my body that's broken for you, represented by the communion wafer. And this is my blood shed for you, which is the wine. Jesus, in this miracle, is foreshadowing what is to come. He is showing His Messiah, he is showing that he's the Savior. And he is showing that the water and the vats, which represent the Old Testament law, will be changed. And the new way, the new way, the new way to be cleansed would be by the blood of the Lamb. That's what he's saying here. That's what John is saying. 
it would not no longer be the water. It would be the wine. So here's the question. Can Christians drink alcohol? Should they? The first thing I want to tell you is this. And in your notes, if you pull up your notes, you can look at these things. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Is that alcohol is a blessing from God only to be used in moderation. I want to say that again. Alcohol is a blessing from God only to be used in moderation. You should never, I want to say this, you should never use alcohol in excess and become intoxicated. At the moment you become intoxicated, you have crossed over between a gift from God and made it something that is now sinful. Here's my rule. I've had this rule forever. I never want to be in a state of mind where I'm not prepared for the return of Christ. Period. I want to say that again. I never want to be in a state of mind where I'm not prepared for the return of Christ. I also never want to embarrass Jesus by my actions or what I choose to do. I want to be of sound mind. I don't want to do anything to embarrass my family, myself, or my Savior. The rule is this, moderation, moderation, moderation. It's a freedom issue, you guys. It really is. It's a freedom issue. Alcohol is a freedom issue. It is a freedom that God has given us. But I want you to know something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, here's what it says. Yeah, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial to you. It's a freedom issue. Leave that verse up there for me. It's a freedom issue. It's an issue where, yes, you have the ability as an adult, legal in the United States over the age of 21, yes, you have the ability to go and partake in an alcoholic beverage. And Christians have the same freedom in the Bible as we do here in America. But the minute you cross over into intoxication, you have now sinned and you have now broken the very freedom and what happens oftentimes is, is that the enemy, the enemy wants to take what God meant for good and make it something that's negative. And so most people's response to that, especially those that are very fundamentalist in the faith, is they want to tell you, they want to make up things like, oh, there's no such thing as alcoholic, it wasn't alcoholic in the Bible. And we just read that Jesus turned water into wine and we know why he did and we know why that it was the good stuff. That's what it said. So we know it's in the scriptures and we know it's acceptable. So the, the first thought would be, well, if it's acceptable and if, if, it's, if it's sin, then I don't want to do it at all. I'm going to be a teetotaler. And that's fine. If you want to be a teetotaler, that's on you. Good for you. But you don't have to be. Moderation, moderation, moderation. And so I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So that brings up the next question that I have. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Yes, they can. Should they drink alcohol is the next question. 
And I want to tell you this. It depends on your motivation. And this is the next point. It depends on your motivation. If you're using anything, if you're using anything to suppress, medicate, or deliver you from some issue you face, that is a sin called idolatry. If you're using anything to suppress, medicate, or deliver you from some issue, even if it's for a short time, that is called idolatry. God doesn't want alcohol to be your deliverer. And He doesn't want money or sex or food or anything else to be your deliverer. He wants to be your deliverer. Remember, I want to tell you this, and this is so true. There can be two people sitting at a bar right beside each other. And one person is sinning and one person is not. Because it's a heart issue. One person's heart is running away from something that God wants. And the other person's heart is just wanting to drink a beer with a friend. And it means nothing to them. I've said this to to my family a lot before and I'll tell you the same thing. You literally could not pay me enough money to become intoxicated to, to, to get drunk. I would never, ever, ever, ever do it. Ever. I have no motivation to do it. None. Zero. There's nothing about it that appeals to me. I want you guys to remember something. I want you to hear this very clearly. Sin doesn't reside in objects. Sin resides in the heart of man that needs to be cleaned. I want you to hear it again. Sin doesn't reside in objects. It resides in the heart of man that needs to be cleaned. So should you? Well, it depends on your motivation. What else? Well, it depends on your background. Should you? It depends on your background. Now, I'd love to stand here and tell you that the reason I have never been drunk in my life is because from a young age, I was anointed and so holy. But that would be a lie. I didn't give my life to Christ until I was almost 19 years old. The truth is, is that I saw with my own eyes how it affected my family. And I want to I say this again. I had a fantastic family growing up. I have a fantastic mom who's listening right now, and I have a fantastic father who passed away at age 59. He was, he was my best friend before I ever met my wife. I loved him dearly. I loved him dearly. He just had that one issue. But I saw what it did. I knew and remember how I felt. And I decided this. I decided that I was going to be the one. I decided that I was going to be the one. My, but my dad drank too much. Both of my granddads drank too much. And I would bet all the way down the line there have been alcohol abuse on both sides. That would be my guess. And I decided that I was going to be the one. I decided that I was no longer, and my brothers have decided this too, that we are no longer, that the sin of, of overindulgence and alcohol abuse, that that stops with our generation. 
And it stops with me and we stops with my two brothers. I was going to be the one. I was no longer going to do that. And I refused for it to pass. I refused for it to come on me and then me to pass that down to my kids. I refused. I would not do it. It stops with me. And here's the truth. It may need to stop with you. It may need to stop with you. How important is it that you don't pass down those things from the past to your kids? How important is it that you don't pass down those sins? How important is it that your grandkids don't have to live and experience the same things that you did that were detrimental at times? I don't know about you guys, but that's real important to me. And I take that very seriously. As some of you may know, my, uh, we have a daughter that we adopted from the children's home. And she always allows me to share these things. But we have a daughter that we adopted from the children's home. And she too had a horrible past. And to be quite honest with you, as I've shared before, she struggled with alcohol. She told me that she knew she was an alcoholic the first time she went to college, she, the first time she drank. My daughter weighs about 115 pounds soaking wet. She does. She's tiny. She drank 10 beers the first time she ever drank. 10. She said she couldn't stop. She passed out. She said she knew she was an alcoholic. And it took eight years of battling and battling and battling, really seven years of battling and battling and battling for her to overcome and to have victory over that area. You couldn't pay her a million dollars to drink a drop right now. She's been clean and sober for three years. Her fiance, or her husband, not her fiance, her husband has been clean and sober for 11 years now. And that is a mantle and a banner that they carry around. Why did they do that? Because they looked at each other and said, it stops with us. The sins of my mother and father, the sins of my grandmother and grandfather and their grandmother and grandfather, that stops with us. And it may be that you don't need to partake at all because of your background and because of who has been in your family. It may mean that you may need to say, you know what, I'm just not going to touch it because of what I've been through and because of what I've seen. And I don't want to pass those things down to my kids. That may be the case for you. I don't know. But it depends on whether you should or not. It depends on your motivation. It depends on your background. And here's the final thing. It depends on your surroundings. It depends on your surroundings. Romans 14.21, we looked at this. Romans 14.21, it says, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything if it else if it might cause another believer to stumble. All right? If it might cause another believer to stumble. Listen, here's the thing, though. I don't want you to be into legalism on this. I don't want you to get into legalism on this. Because a lot of people, what they do is, is they, they kind of they maneuver over from, from where they are. And then they, they say, oh, I don't want to cause anybody else to stumble. And so they go over into legalism on this. And what they say is, and they've told me this before, they say things like, well, when I'm at a restaurant... I'm not going to have a glass of wine because someone may come in and see me drinking and they may think bad about me or they may think I'm this way or that way. Can I tell you a little something? That's not what the verse means at all. That's not what it means. If someone's going to judge you based off what you drink at a restaurant, then whether or not you're drinking a glass of wine is a small issue. There's other issues going on with them. And I decided I wasn't going to live my life faking it 
like a lot of people do. Can I tell you how many deacons' homes I've been to? We went on a retreat one time, and there was a deacon that was hosting. And, uh, man, they could have gotten, you know, half a noon and drunk. I mean, it was, it was stacked and packed, man, like, like cordwood, brother. Just like, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to fake it. It's called real church, real life. I don't want to fake it. That's not what the verse means. Here's what the verse means. It means this. It means that me having the knowledge of, let's say, my daughter, when she comes to town, having the knowledge that she has struggled with alcohol, it is better that I not partake or my wife not partake in alcohol because I don't want to cause her to stumble. Therefore, we do not. We don't. And I know I'm sitting up here talking. Listen, the way I'm talking right now, you think me and Wendy, we light it up every night, right? No, it really is a non-issue in our house. It just is. It's a non-issue for us. I should care less about it. And she should care less. She cares a little more than I do about it, but not, not really. Are you with me? When we first got, got together, there were years and years and years and years where we just were teetotalers. We, just, we didn't think about it. And if that happened, if I felt like God wanted me to do that today, I would. But the answer is, is it depends on your surroundings. And the reason it depends on my surroundings is because of this. People are more important to me than any freedom that I have in Christ. I want you to hear that. Yes, I have the freedom in Christ, but people are more important to me. And they were more important to Jesus, too. They were. Do you know what made the Pharisees the maddest? When Jesus would function with sinful people and love them over some rule or regulation that the Pharisees had set up. So, here's the question. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Yes, there is freedom in that. In moderation and not to excess. Should they drink alcohol? Well, that depends. That depends on your background. It, it, it depends on, you know, your, your surroundings. It depends on your motivation. It all depends. And that's something that you have to ask. And that's something that's between you and God. And that's the answer to the question. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we never want to take a freedom that you've given us and either throw it out because of some legalism or abuse it because of some addiction. And so, God, I do pray that our people would see that there is freedom found in you. But that that freedom, that freedom, it is something to be cherished and is valuable. And that we want to stay within the lines of your boundaries. God, your word says that, that uh, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so we take that on. And I do pray that if there's anyone here that struggles with the sin of alcohol addiction, I do pray that they would seek out help and treatment, that they would come to me, come to someone 
and we could help them get on the right path. Because we never want to put anything before you, God. You're the most important thing in our life, and you're the one that gives us life. Nothing else gives us life. Nothing else is our Savior but only you. And Lord, I, I love you, and I thank you, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story real quick before the praise band starts. There was a fish in a pond that used to come up to the surface and he would come up to the surface and poke his eyes out on the surface and he would look at the squirrel that was playing in the tree. And he would think, man, I really want to be a squirrel. How cool it would be to climb up those trees. And he would try to jump out of the water, but he would only make it just a little bit. And the next day he would look and he came up and he looked and looked and there it is, the squirrel running and jumping and eating nuts and all that stuff. And he was like, man, I really would like to be a squirrel. I would really like to be a squirrel. So he came all the way back and then he took off. He was flying and he jumped up and he landed in the water and swam back. And the third day he got way on the other side of the pond and he looked up and that squirrel was having so much fun. And he said, I I'm gonna, I want to be a squirrel. And he flew as fast as he could across the pond and jumped out and landed on the ground. And he died there. Why did he die there? Because he was never intended to be a squirrel. See, God had given him boundaries of the water. And within those boundaries... He was flourishing. He was flourishing. And the squirrel has the same boundaries in the trees. But the fish, because of his heart wanting more, came out and it killed him. If you don't get anything else out of today's message, get this. Stay within the boundaries that God has given you. And enjoy the freedom of those boundaries. Let's stand up and worship. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.